Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast. Yes. I'm Dr. Natasha Williams. And I'm Stacey M. Buchanan. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know what? We've got an amazing, amazing guest. I love all of our guests. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, when you come across a powerhouse, this is going to be an amazing one. So let me give you just a bit of background of who we've got lined up today. Okay. We've got Crystal Grace Nicole Pinnock. Yes. And her story is unbelievable. Uh, just a little bit. I'm going to give you just a little taste of her story. Um, don't want to give too much away. Uh, so she was sexually assaulted while away at university in the United States. And as a result, she became, um, she was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder. She then encountered, she was in a near-death experience where she went for a drive and drove to New York State, unknowingly running the US border. But from that experience, she is now a mental health speaker. She has her own organization, Mental Health Speaks Out. She also trains the Durham Regional Police Service on mental health, and she is a motivational speaker. Amen. Amen. Give it up for Miss Crystal Grace Nicole Pinnock. Can I tell you, as I said, her story is going to drop some jaws and really shake up some foundation. This is going to be a good one. This, 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 her story is, 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 is powerful, powerful. Dr. Natasha, we were talking about like, you know how I like to drop the quotes in. Of course. Because every, like every guest, there's a quote that goes with their story. That's and right. for Crystal, let me tell you about this quote. It goes, <laughs> don't let your history interfere with your destiny. Oh my goodness. And, and when I say that, hmm. and when you listen to this woman's story, you're going to listen to this story. I'm going to tell you this right now. I'm going to, uh, you will be on your feet. You will be on your feet. And if you don't clap and if you don't cheer during the story, I've said enough. I've said enough, right? Dr. Yes. Natasha, I've we, said we, enough. You've said enough. Let's, let's hear, let's hear Crystal. Let's hear Crystal. Welcome to the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. This podcast aims to provide a safe space that explores mental health within the Black community, breaks down the stigmas attached while taking back our narratives. All right, so uh, Crystal, we're going to get right into it. And we're going to ask you to tell us and to tell our audience your story. Oh, okay. So my name is uh, Crystal Grace Nicole Pinnock. And I grew up in the city of Toronto as a student athlete. Um, my second year in high school, my grade 10 year, we moved to Pickering, Ontario. And I continued to uh, play basketball and be a, a student athlete. Um, my mom was actually a single single parent at the time. My dad had left her with five kids under the age of 18. And so uh, sports was something I would use to, I was going to use to pursue my education. I was good enough at basketball that I actually got a scholarship, a $25,000 scholarship to a U.S. university where my tuition, my dormitory, and my meal plan was all paid for. 
unfortunately, while on a scholarship at the university, I got raped by a football player. And that made me suicidal. I got raped that week, and by the weekend, I was suicidal. The uh, campus campus psych- psychiatrist, um, he had me on suicidal watch and contacted my mom in Canada, which must have been scary, scary for my family. Um, so now back home in Canada, I did return home after the school year. Um, I flunked out, uh, and I, I didn't do well after I was raped. And so I returned back home to Canada. And um, I wasn't myself. I was locking myself in my room. I was playing loud music. I was having blackouts. I'd be in a room with my sister and my mom. And they'd look at me. It's like I was like, it's as if I was the only one in the room. And I'd like black out. Like I wouldn't know that I'm in a room with, with family or with people. It's like it's just me and that kind of blackout. And that like raised, I guess that raised um, the the alarm for my mom and my sister. Um, my sister had told me recently that she had Googled online my my behavior, the way I was acting, and she knew something was wrong. So I was, uh, my family doctor saw me, it was an emergency visit to our family doctor, and he referred me to a psychiatrist at the hospital. And the psychiatrist, what happened was the, so the year, the next year when I came home from the States, the psychiatrist that my um, my family thought that I wasn't doing well, but they didn't know what happened to me. I couldn't talk about oh, it. Oh, okay. Uh, they didn't know like what happened in the States. Um, Crystal, can I ask you a question? And I apologize to interrupt, but I just wanted to ask you some of these symptoms that you were exhibiting uh, back here when you came back home, were these symptoms you were also having back down in the U.S.? Because I knew you mentioned that you were not coping that well and, and unfortunately that you had dropped out of, of university. Were these some of the symptoms you were having and this was just, uh, you know, extended when you came back uh, to Toronto or to Pickering? It was because, um, you know, the rape was... For me, I didn't really know what happened to me. I, When I saw my psychiatrist and he referred me to a, a woman's counselor, she was the one that first one that told me I was raped. I didn't even know I was raped. So you didn't I even have a term for it. I knew happened to me. Okay. I knew something that was done to me, and I couldn't, like, and I just, I was like, you know, something terrible happened to me. She said, Crystal, psychiatrist in Canada, so you were raped. But the police report was actually made here in Canada, in oh. Pickering, Ontario. Oh, okay. So yeah. all of that time in the United States, there was no like, there was no either diagnosis or they didn't really know what's going on. They just knew you had symptoms. Am I correct? Yeah, they know I was suicidal. I, I wasn't talking to anyone. Like I wasn't saying what happened. It's like I shut down. So they um so you were suicidal, but they didn't. Uh, did they diagnose you with anything down in the U.S. or did they just not know what was going on? They didn't know what was going on. They contacted my family. I and, I, and, and, I, and at the time, I, the best place for me was to go home. That mm-hmm. was the best thing I could do. Okay. But it wasn't until the end of the school year 
um, it was second semester when I got raped, unfortunately. Okay. And at the end of that semester, I went home to Canada. I see. Okay. Okay. I just wanted to ask a few questions just to let you know, because I think it's important. And if there's anything that is uncomfortable, please let me know. Um, but I think it's important for our listeners to, you know, really understand the journey and, um, you know, because a lot of times people think that these symptoms just come out of the blue. And I wanted our listeners to really get a sense of, no, that this was something that you'd been struggling with from the minute the rape happened. And coming back to Canada and even having these symptoms in Canada, um, it's not that this was just happening in Canada. These symptoms were happening back in the United States, exactly, back in the U.S. as well. So it's just that now in, the, in Canada, you're now putting a name to it. Um, and, yes. and that in and of itself is powerful because once you actually put a name to something, it actually gives it a definition. And from, yes. yes, and from there, now I know it. Almost, it's almost like it's almost like a light to the path. Where initially there was the, the path was dark. I had no idea because for her, for her, for Crystal not to, or for you not to, even know that you were raped, that in and of itself um, makes it difficult to even figure. Well, where do I go from here? Right. So this is why I'm asking just a few questions just to get a bit of context of, of, of what's going on. And Crystal, thank you so much for, for that clarification, because it's really Im important for our listeners to really get a sense of what's going on. So thank you for that. So it sounds like and I, so I guess we'll 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 continue. And, you know, as you were starting to get interventions back here in Canada, tell us a little bit about uh, a bit more about your journey and how, um, you know, how you were able to navigate some of the things here in Canada. Okay, so psychiatrist, he worked with me. It's it's for a year. Uh, the psychiatrist worked with me. He, I had to keep a journal, right. so I kept a journal, and I'd see him about once a week or once every two weeks, depending on his availability. And I'd keep a journal and I'd bring it in, and he would just question me what I did in a day to day, what I did, what I did the day before, what I did last week. Everything was in the journal. He actually interviewed my mom and my sister as well to kind of get a. To, to kind of get the whole picture of what's going on with me in the house okay. and, and and how my behavior is. And, and so at the end of the year, so by the, that December of that year, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Ah, okay, okay. The strange thing is, is that, yes, he monitored me for a year. I did an MRI. I did all these tests. I remember at one point I had blue dye. I went under a machine and I had blue dye that they put all over my body so you could it was um, i did like different tests i can't remember everything right now mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and um he diagnosed me with the bipolar disorder but what happened was he didn't give me a follow-up visit he prescribed me medication and he never saw me again hmm. okay that's interesting so i i did bring the medication to shoppers drug mart i got a prescription filled and i went home i read the side effects and to be honest i felt worse off on medication mm-hmm and I didn't take it. Oh, I see. So here's the yeah. interesting thing about your journey so far, and which is also fascinating, that it took the doctor a year to do the, uh, the diagnosis. Because bipolar, with a diagnosis of bipolar, a lot of times it takes a lot longer to diagnose it because when you usually see the patient, you don't see the patient in their manic stage. Because when they're manic, they're usually high, they're energetic, they think they can conquer the world, all of those kinds of things. Usually you don't see that. You will see the client when the client is depressed. So what usually happens is that 
the person will get misdiagnosed with depression and then antidepressant medication as a result. So what he did, I, and I was initially, I was initially going to praise the psychiatrist. So don't fire me. So um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I was going to say the psychiatrist did a very thorough job because A, taking a year to make the diagnosis, B, interviewing, um, clinical, doing the clinical interview with Crystal, but then also interviewing the, the mother and the sister. So you have a thorough understanding of how her behavior is prior to this. So I was about to say that is one of the most thorough assessments that I've heard of from a psychiatrist in a long period of time. So that's why I said I was initially going to praise <laughs> the psychiatrist until I turn around and hear that you just prescribe and then leave. That to me, and again, I'm a psychologist, so I'm not a psychiatrist. I do not prescribe medication. So I will always say that off the bat because the last thing I need to do is lose my license. But, um, <laughs> but um, just again, to give a little context, Usually with bipolar, because of the nature of the diagnosis and how significant it can be, you have to be followed by a psychiatrist. There are some diagnoses in which you can, the psychiatrist can do the assessment and the family doctor can actually follow the medication. So if it's a, if it's a depression or something of that nature, you can give, this, give the recommendations to the family doctor and the family doctor can follow. In my yes, the family experience. doctor prescribes. Yes, the family doctor prescribes the medication, but it's the psychiatrist initially that gives a diagnosis and gives the medication to take. Exactly. In mo in in quite a few cases, and you're right, Crystal. In in a lot of cases, that can happen. Usually, then, as as the symptoms are either more severe or you have a more severe more severe diagnosis, as an example, um, usually the psychiatrist uh, would monitor. You know, so something like a bipolar, like schizophrenia, like these types of uh, these types of um, mental health illnesses, uh, mental illnesses, usually the psychiatrist will follow. So, for, so I'm I'm shocked to be very honest that the psychiatrist did not follow up. That you just got a script and that was it. Um, so that's why I was like initially I was going to praise him, but to to have no follow up to give that kind of to communicate that kind of diagnosis and then have no follow up. I, again, I don't know the entire story, but that to me, to be honest, from a clinical vantage point, sounds off. Okay. Yeah. So um, I got no follow up um appointment with him. I just got a medication, so I did go to Shoppers. I filled a prescription. I saw the side effects. I said I'm going to be worse off on this thing. I of course. Um. So. Within you one year, I deteriorated. It. I deteriorated um, a lot. It, the, the rape was like a car accident that hit me, but it took two years to really hit me. Oh, and like, yes. I, like a car was hitting me, but it took two years to feel a car hit you, Crystal. You got hit by a car. That's how the rape felt. Wow. Like it took two years to hit me. I, I was, I, I became paranoid. I was, I thought I had AIDS. To be honest, oh, I thought I had goodness. all the STDs. Um, I got tested every year for the first five years after the rape for AIDS. Yes. Um, I got, I, 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 I was a nervous wreck. I, I, you know, I, I, I really affected me, but it took, it took like, I, I was developing different symptoms and I was deteriorating, but it took a while to actually hit me. Um, December of the next year, I woke up in my mom's house in Pickering and I didn't recognize my, or our house. I didn't recognize my mom and I didn't recognize my brother. 
I went for a drive, and this was the wake-up for me. This drive I went on, I was missing for two days. My mom called the police. She doesn't know where I am. I drove from Pickering, Ontario, to New York State. Whoa. I ran the American border. Whoa. Whoa. And that was a wake-up for me because um, they, they clocked me, and I going about 200 kilometers per hour. I forget how much miles that is, but it wasn't miles, but it worked out to 200 kilometers per hour. And um, my car ran off the road. road. It was a high. I, I don't want to laugh, but there's some weird stories with it. Mm-hmm. You know, in the movies when they're chasing the bad guy. Mm-hmm. Right. And they put down the, the stripes that the next town Ye- to pop the tires. Yes. That's what police were trying to do to me. And they'd radio to the next town. She's coming. She's coming. Oh and by the time goodness. they're trying to set up, I'd be gone to the next town. She's mm-hmm. coming. She's coming. Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. <laughs> and I, I found wow. just my car pulled, like my car. I, I don't really remember the accident too much mm-hmm. because I hit my head. Oh, and I, I would wake the... up. My car totaled. Oh wow! Okay. Wow. Yeah, my car told. I woke up in a police officer's arms, then I woke up in an ambulance, and I finally woke up in a hospital, Rochester, New York State Hospital. And you can Google the story. Right. right. I was handcuffed to a bed. A police officer was in, was watching my bed, and I was handcuffed to the bed. That's and it, that's. Um... You know what the wake up? No, the scary thing was, mm-hmm. I could have been at Scarborough General Hospital. You know, I could have been at um, Ajax Pickering. I didn't know where I was. Right. Hey, I'll be honest. Oh. I'll be honest with you. That is, and again, just to give our listeners some context. The, that's one of the symptoms so of mania. Mania. Yeah. That's, that's what to say. Is yeah. Like, the epi- like a manic episode. Yes. Yes. That's part of the manic episode. You will engage in behaviors that are dangerous. Um, so for some people, it would be driving recklessly. For for others, it would be unprotected sex. Uh, for other people, it would be um, shopping and and um, racking up a whole ton of debt. Uh, so there's all of these different behaviors that are categorized under a manic episode. Um, on top of that, it sounds like, uh, Crystal, you had mentioned that, you know, you, you woke up and you didn't know where you were or, or anything of that. Part of, a, of the mania as well is that there's disassociation. Um, and, okay, so, and, okay. and they'll call it dissociative fugue is the, is the terminology. Uh, so that basically means is, is that, you know, things seem very surreal to you. You know, you don't know where you are. You don't know who you are at times. It's like you're in a different world or like in, just in a, in a different reality. Everything, everything seems warped in, in a sense. Yeah. So, I mean, that, it, was, that, that was scary for myself and my I can, family. I that my mom gets a call. My mom gets a call that I'm in a New York State uh, hospital. The hospital took, kept me for just under two weeks. Oh, and wow, then okay. I, was, I was incarcerated for eight months. In New York. Yeah, my the Canadian embassy, the Canadian embassy came to see me. Um, it, it was, you know, there's no. I have to say that the Canadian, the, the mental health system in Canada and the mental health system in the states, it's very different. Mm, how so? Oh, yeah, I was yes. about to ask. Yeah, it's very different. Um, you, they, um, they, they really work with. They more work with the legal part in the states. They want you to have some jail time or. You know, they need you to be in jail to for your to be punished for something. But in Canada you have dermatol services in Durham I had Canadian Metal Association and they have court support programs. You go to a courthouse, you'll see them the the, the, the mental services in the, they have their own office in the courtroom. Okay. Yeah. 
in the States, it was it was weird. They uh, from the hospital, um, my mom, my sister, my brother came to see me at the hospital, and then from the hospital, the the police picked me up, a sergeant and another police officer picked me up. It's weird because I went to the jail, and um, I'm in there for a few days, and the sergeant gave me this envelope, a thick envelope, and um, I opened it, and all the girls in, in the cell block started counting. Everyone started counting. They gave me back the pile of of of, of paper of tickets and everyone said you need a lawyer crystal i had almost 100 traffic tickets further stop for a red light further stop for a stop sign further stop for police it went on and on and on and on and i was this sounds uh, like a this sounds like a movie i don't mean to cut you but this just sounds please continue crystal wow yeah and and so my mom she initially had gotten uh, we got the criminal lawyer, but we got the immigration lawyer first, but mm-hmm. I had criminal charges. Right. So yeah. we had to switch to a criminal lawyer. And the first time he met me, the criminal lawyer met me in a courtroom. He came in the door and he said, came to the little office in the courtroom and he told me, I'm looking at a ghost. He said, you cannot run the American border and still be alive, Crystal. He said, wow. they are taught to shoot first, ask questions, questions later. later. Holy smokes. He said, I'm looking at a ghost. <laughs> That's all he said to me. I'm looking at a ghost. He said, it doesn't make sense. And I have to say, my story is a story of faith and family. Take that. I forgot to say that at the beginning. It's a story Mm. of faith and family. Amen. Amen. You know, it's more of a testimony than even a story. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And that was, so we'll go back to Ford now. I'm released from the jail. Okay. And what happens is, um, they bring me, I'm um, picked up by immigration action, brought to the American Canadian border. Sorry. No, sorry. The American side of the Canadian border mm-hmm. or on the American side still, if I am explaining correctly. I got you. Yeah, I understand. And, and we got, um, I got voluntary departure. So I wasn't actually deported. Oh, okay. Yes. I got I voluntary know you departure, which means I could always return to the States. Right. But would you believe I get to the, the they drop me off at the Canadian border now and uh, my mom, uh, friends from church, everyone's waiting because they're going to pick me up to bring me home. Right. Guess who comes and picks me up? Immigration Canada? Oh, the Durham Regional Police Service. Oh, no. Because I was driving unsafe before I left Canada. Oh. The alarm was already up. Police were actually in Canada were contacted on the highway before I left. Um, at one point, they said I was facing traffic. So oh, they picked me up. I go to Lindsay for a week. I put on bail. Mm-hmm. My passport was taken. Mm-hmm. My driver's license was taken. All my rights. If I'm in a car and it's, it's not even moving, there's no key in the socket. I can't even be around a steering wheel. Mm-hmm. At that point, I'm not allowed to do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, they were Canadian authorities are really serious. But to be know who God is, the Dermot Health Services and the Canadian Mental Health Association, they came together for my case. They both came together and all my charges in Canada were dropped. Look at that. Yeah, exactly. And, it's and I be- believe and- I got crime served in the States. Right. But I don't believe I have a record for them either. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. And it's, inter- you know? it's interesting because um, they recognize really quickly that 
um, what you were doing was not intentional. Yes. That it was part of a mental illness. illness. Yeah. So yes, they may have to file charges or whatever, but what's important is, is that they're going to try to divert you so that you can get the mental health services that you need versus criminally charge you and incarcerate you. Yes, and that was a that was a wake up call for me. You know, my family, everyone came together to help with lawyer fees, and I, I can't. I, I think about fifteen between Canada and the U.S. My mom probably spent, and my family probably spent about fifteen thousand. They had to come up with within weeks. Right, right. My to, word. Just to get me help, because mm-hmm. in the states, you know, once you have a lawyer, then um, the judge respects you in the courtroom. Once mm-hmm. you know, that's what I that's what I found out quickly. Um, when a lawyer is speaking for you, you know, there's yes. more can be done done for for you in, in the States, per se, to that effect. But, um, yeah, you know, I, my lawyer told me, he said, don't ever come back to the States. <laughs> 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 the American lawyer he said, oh, I've got a funny story for you. So um, a police officer picked me up when because uh, I was going to court like every other day. I must have driven through every jurisdiction in New York State. <laughs> Wow. And please picks me up and he's bringing me to court. And um, he said to me, he said, Crystal, what type of car were you driving? And I, and I was, I said, a Hyundai Elantra. He said, we need some of those. Right? Right? The actual police <laughs> services need them. No? Need those. <laughs> wow. Oh, gosh. Yeah, uh, God is good, eh? Hey, all the oh time. All, all the, the time. time. God is good. All the time. God is good. Oh, that's too so funny. So it was a wake up call for me. I came back and I, um, dermatol services, they never left me either. Oh, From the court so support amazing. program, they gave me a caseworker and she. Anything information I needed, she'd bring me information on bipolar, mental illness, anxiety, um, any way I was feeling after coming back from and being incarcerated for eight months. Mm-hmm. And I just, in my own research, I, I, I researched, I went online, I went to Canadian Mental Health Association, I researched for hours, I read modules, my caseworker brought me modules every week. I read through all the modules, I read information, information, I talked to my mom, my sister, I talked to the psychiatrist because I got a new one. Because the other one wouldn't take me back. Um, that one really made you laugh. That one you were just like, like well, right, right, whatever. Like, thank with you. you. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So wow. you know, but God was God was in all of this. God mm. was there. I could see God in so many ways. Oh my God. Yes. Um, yes, absolutely. I could just see God working in so many ways in my life. And what happened is. By the year, because this happened some years back now, but by 2011 fall, I was discharged from my caseworker. Okay. I was discharged, and she told me, Crystal, be a mental health speaker, be a mental health advocate. And, you know, at first I I said, no, I'm not going to speak. I'm not. But within three years, 2014 March, you know, I I decided to start speaking on on mental health. So I, I launched and I opened the Mental Health Speaks Out. Oh my gosh. Okay. Amazing. Okay, Crystal. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. And before but before I get into but before I get into it, as I'm saying, faith and family, you know, um, and even when I was in jail, one thing was that um they found out right away that I was religious. The guards and, and the sergeant, everyone in the jail and all the cellmates found out I was religious. So they would in the morning and during the day, they, everyone would use profanity and go on and curse at each other and 
you know, arguments. And then at night before everyone, before lights went out and we're all in our cell block, our, our individual cell blocks, I mean, our cell in the cell block, mm-hmm. they say, Crystal, could you pray for us? So hey. I would pray for everyone that night. And the yes. next day they do it again. Right. Arguing. <laughs> but they see the anointing on you, my dear. Yes. yes. <laughs> and so I do the prayer that night or they say, can you read scripture to us? We like the way you, you read Crystal and they say certain things. But it was an experience. I mean, you know, um, I went through what I went through, but it was a wake-up call. Yeah. Because I don't have to be here right now. The lawyer said he's looking at a ghost. Yep. Um, you know, the Canadian embassy came to see me. Um, they, they spoke with me. They, they couldn't do much because the jurisdiction was under a judge. A judge had to release me or decide what to do. And may I add that my traffic tickets turn into misdemeanors. Every 10 or, or 20 traffic tickets was a misdemeanor. And every mm. certain, certain amount of misdemeanors is a felony. And one felony is three and a half years prison time. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One felony is about three and a half years prison time. So I was looking at misdemeanor charges, which turned in turn became a felony. And so, you know, the guards didn't know that I'd be going home the day I was released from, from, from the jail. The day I was released, they thought I was going to be going to prison. That's what they told me. I got, they took me out my cell block. They said, you're going to prison today, Crystal. The judge is going to send you to prison. We need to fingerprint you again so we can send these fingerprints to prison. We can have these for our record. That's what I was told. And the, that day, the judge released me. And, that. you know, it was, a, it was, a, oh, my goodness, you know, I, it's like the judge, when he, I remember him talking to my lawyer and, oh, what happened in court was he asked me first what happened. And I was trying to explain my story. But then my lawyer called recess, brought me in a room. And you know, what my lawyer said to me, he said, shut up, shut up, Crystal. Do not, that's exactly what he said to me. Do not talk to the judge. I will do all the talking and I will, and I'll talk to the, the, the prosecutor prosecutor and we will will we will we will i will work for you today and i know that god had to send the angel down because when i went in that courtroom and they talked back and forth and i was supposed to get more jail time when a judge punch his name was judge punch when he put down his hammer he said released wow favor of god wow the favor of yeah. god how do you explain how that happened? You had so many traffic tickets and each, and you're saying like about three tickets or it, it will be like a felony. You had all of that for three years plus in jail. You only served, served eight months. Like, how do you explain all of that? How do you explain her driving through the United States border, Canadian border, beating at 200 something miles per hour? How do you explain your car being total and you being okay? Like, how do you explain all all of this. You don't. You, you, you know, know what I'm you saying? Know, you know, of course. You, 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 these are the moments where you don't explain those things. That's right. why you just say favor of God. God. You hush your mouth. And then. <laughs> no, seriously. It. You're right. When when your lawyer said you, he's looking at a ghost. Mm, my goodness. That in itself is just a powerful statement. Like, like the favor of God. Yeah. The favor of God. Yeah. Crystal. Yeah, faith and, faith and family. It's all. Yeah, I'm a I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, <laughs> and that's actually why I'm here right now. Because mm-hmm. he explained to me, the Lord was very stern with me too. He said they will shoot first, Crystal, and ask questions later. later. Mm-hmm. They're not going to see someone running their board and be like, "Well, maybe they're having a Mac episode," you know? Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> they're right. not going to think yeah. that. And can I add on top of all of this, as a black woman? Exactly. 
think of it that way. As a black woman, it would be it would have been easy for them to shoot, exactly. right? Because you know, a lot of the times they they do not respect our lives. Mm -hmm. They would just see a black person in a vehicle driving erratically, and the lawyer's right. Shoot first. first. Shoot first. Right. But would you believe this is the story that my mom and them got from court when they would talk to the police officers when they would come, they visit me in jail and talk to the police officers. And they said the border said told the police that they didn't see when a car ran their border. They saw on camera later that a car ran their border, but they didn't see me when I actually ran their border. And another thing says they said I went to the truck stop. That's why I got through. They said I went to the to the truck the truck stop where the trucks go and they were looking on camera and said, wait a second, did someone just run our border? And then all the police in New York State were contacted and, and that's how it was a police chase for me. They were looking for me. My they had my goodness. license plate in, the, in my car description. They were looking for me. But they did not, I don't understand that. They didn't actually see when I ran their border. Mm. They saw on camera that a car ran their border when they checked wow. the cameras. But they said, wait, did someone just run our border? Yeah, they didn't see me when I ran their border. Wow. They wow. said that. Like, that's what they they said. If we were to interview the border and go back in time and find people that night, that's the story they will tell. Mm -hmm. we, we looked on camera and we saw a car run our border, but we didn't see when a car ran the border. Oh my God. Does that story even uh, make sense? No. A ghost. Not, well, like, that, 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 like, that's we, a ghost right there. Exactly. Like how, yeah, it, does, it doesn't make sense. Exactly. And like you said, God is in the midst of all of that. Crystal, I, I want to know, the audience, we all want to know, where are you right now? Can you tell us where you are right now? Okay, you guys. <laughs> the Blind Stigma Podcast audience. How are you guys feeling? Her story is so powerful. This is the first time in our podcast history where we had to break the story down into two parts. We had to take a breath on this one. We had, <sighs> we had to take a breath. So I'm glad, Stacey, that you checked in with the audience because Crystal's story is so powerful. So, so I'm, again, I'm glad that you've checked in with the audience. We, we had to do we a, had we had to. to break this down. We had to. And we've got now part two. Buckle up. Let's go. You've reached the end of another episode of the Blind Stigma Podcast with your hosts, Stacey Ann Buchanan and Dr. Natasha Williams. Thank you for tuning in. If you're a first-time listener and you like the show, then please subscribe, rate, and review us on all the major podcast platforms. Don't forget to connect with us on social media at The Blind Stigma and join the conversation. Find out more about each guest and help us to change the stigma while taking back our narratives. This podcast is produced by What's Up Toronto and Stacey Ann Buchanan Productions.